So what do you do when you come to a passage of scripture that you don't like? I mean, it's in your personal reading, your personal devotional. It's not bad because you can kind of just read it fast, skip over it, and move on to something that's going to be a lot more helpful for you. But here's the problem. What do you do when you hit a passage of scripture you don't like and you're the preacher? Can't skip over it. You know, one of the reasons that we, that we take a book of the Bible and we just go through it verse by verse by verse, it's sort of a twofold thing. Number one is it stops us preachers getting on a hobby horse and just saying to you the same thing over and over and over again, something that we think is important that maybe doesn't apply to your life. But the second reason is we don't get to skip stuff. We don't get to skip over passages of the Bible, words and teaching of Jesus that we find like annoying or uncomfortable or just plain don't like. We just have to look at it and we just have to spend some time in it. So here we are, a passage of scripture that I don't like. Let's see it together. John chapter 15 verses 18 through 27. Here we go. If the world hates you, keep it in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, said Jesus, then they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, then they'd obey yours also. They'll treat you this way because of my name. For if they don't know the one who sent me, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. If I had not done the thing among them, the works, no one else did, they would not be guilty of their sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth, who comes out of the father, he will testify about and you must also testify that you have been seen with me from the beginning. Don't like that passage. And the reason I don't like that passage is because it's filled with this word hate. And this word hate these days drives me nuts. Because I hear it all the time. It just seems like anytime you disagree with somebody, then right away that's labeled as hate speech. Just because you disagree with me doesn't mean that you hate me. At least, I don't think so. So it just, it, to me, it just gets thrown around too loosely. Hate this, hate this, hate speech, hate that, all these kind of things. And I just think it's too much. And yet here in these 10 verses, the word hate appears seven times. So here's the thing. I hate to admit it, <laughs> but there is hate. I didn't even realize the pun there. I didn't read that until I, <laughs> I'd already printed the things and I said, Jones, you hypocrite. But it, the truth is, it is, it really is a thing. There is such a thing as hatred. Now, this word that, that's, that John uses here that we have, it used a, um, 
It's usually everything that means from uh, not adequately esteeming or valuing somebody, all the way through wishing ill will upon somebody, and get to those that detesting, even to the point of crucifixion, which of course they did Jesus on the cross. So there's this, there's this spectrum of this word for hatred. And we know that that spectrum in its entirety is alive and well in our world today. But I don't like to think about that. And part of the reason I think that I react to it so negatively is the truth is I'm not exposed to hatred very often. I, I pretty much live my life in the church, unlike you guys. I've got it pretty easy. I do. Not very many people hate me. And if they do, they don't stick around very long. They go find somewhere else. And so I'm not, I'm not exposed to it. And so it doesn't seem like a real thing to me. But there is hatred between people. I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, the world is, is full of, of war and terrorism and mindless racism and, and reaction and vengeance and, and all of these things. And so, you know, there's, somebody hurts me, so I'm going to hurt you. And this nation hurts you, and so I'm going to hurt you. And this tribe hurts them, so I'm going to hurt you. It's just, it's all over the place. And even today, there's real-life hatred against followers of Jesus. You know, a researcher with the International Society for Human Rights, I think it was last year, estimated that the number of Christians who are killed by their faith every year is about 10,000 people. If you Google it, you know, you can look it up and you'll see numbers anywhere from, I think the lowest I saw was 7,500 per year and the highest was 100,000 a year. It depends on how they count it. Where they count it, you know, kind of wars that end up between groups of people and people get killed in these wars but but in terms of direct oh you're a christian bang you're dead it's about 10,000 people a year still this is foreign to my thinking and foreign to my mind but the persecuted church other than just people thinking that we're weird really is in existence and that grows out of another reality that I don't like in this passage. The second reason I don't like this passage, and it's because there is a difference. There is a difference between people who follow Jesus and those who do not. Twelve times, twelve times in these ten verses, the word they is used. This divisive word. This passage is dominated by two words, hate and they. And I don't like either of them. I kind of like, you know, can't we just like love each other? Can't we show grace to each other? Can't we, you know, even when there's difference? You know, I, back in the old days when I was young, I used to like combative language. But now, you know, you get old and you just want everyone to love each other. Can't we just love each other? Can't we just, like, give each other some grace and live together? And I don't know if we just get tired or we realize it's stupid to fight over most of the things we fight over. I don't know which it is. But this passage is dominated. By hate, and they, not us. So I don't like the passage. And, and when it's not talking about they and hate, you've got this other verse, verse 19, which kind of sums up a lot of it. And this is what verse 19 says. Hey, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. And that is why 
the world hates you. Man, I want to belong. I do. You know, any environment that I'm in, I just, I just kind of want to belong, you know? I mean, I can understand there's going to be some differences and stuff, but I, 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 I want to belong. I went to Kirk and wedding yesterday at a different church and hundreds of people there. I thought, I don't know any of these people. Then you see two or three, five people you see, and, oh, I belong to everyone. I just, I just want to belong, you know? It's just, it's just a human thing. We're created that way. We want to belong. But the reality is, we don't belong here. We don't belong to the world. That is, anyone, and anything, any structure, any whatever, that does not follow Jesus, we don't belong, including religious people of the day. I mean, you've got to realize that Jesus was talking to his disciples and, and they were in, in, the, in the Jewish milieu and he's saying, listen, you are all good Jews. And these people around you and your relatives, they're, they're Jews, but you don't belong to them anymore. Because there's this big distinction and there's only two groups of people. Those that follow Jesus and those that don't. It's this dividing line. And it's just a reality. As much as I don't like it, it's just there. I don't belong. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't belong. Jesus, it says, he has chosen us. And the word chosen means to be called out of one group of people and made to belong to a different group of people. In this case, made to belong to Jesus. And he was told last week this, this marvelous thing that Jesus says, listen, you belong so much to me that I am the vine and you are the branches. And, and I, I infuse you with God's joy and you bear the fruit of my love flowing through you. This is how deeply you belong to me. This is how connected you are to me. And that feels so good and it feels so right and it's a marvelous thing to celebrate. But the problem is, the other side is that it means we don't belong anywhere else quite right quite the way we wish that sometimes we could Jesus says you're different and the world does not like anything different and there's this unrelenting pressure of society to change so that we can feel like we belong now hey I don't blame the world for that because if you're amongst us for a while there's an unrelenting pressure within the church to belong and to conform to the church, right? I mean, it's a social thing. It's not, it's not some criticism about the world. Whatever group that I'm a part of, there's, there's pressure to belong, to conform to that group, isn't there? This is how we do things. This is the way we are. You know, you marry into someone's family and, and you, there's pressure. Sheena was so shocked marrying into an English family. Immense pressure. You gotta cook the proper food for the proper meal. And so this, this pressure. And so when we're not amongst ourselves, when we're out where we should be, when being salt and light and in the world, there's pressure to conform, to change our ideas, to change our behaviors, to change our understanding, to change our worldview, to conform to the world. And when we don't, we recognize that we don't belong. And it can even feel a bit like hatred. Why is it so sharp? I mean, you know, the Rotary Club, it's a good bunch of guys and girls. They're a unique, identifiable group. They've got that little sign there. They give us stuff for the camp, do good stuff. They're a little bit different. Nobody hates the Rotarians. So 
So what's, what's the deal with us? What's the deal? What's the reason for hatred? Jesus gets into that a little bit and he says, well, first of all, you've got to realize that there's, that there's no excuse for the hatred that, that Christ has and the people have towards worlds. At least there's no good excuse. He says, listen, the truth is, if the world hates you, don't take him personally. It's not you, it's me. The world just hates me and sometimes you just get swept up into something that's much bigger than you are and because the world hates me and God the Father, you're going to get caught up into that antagonism, into that disagreement, into maybe even that hatred. And Jesus explains this whole thing about it and why it doesn't work. Look at verses 22 through 24. Listen, if I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now... They have no excuse for their sin. Why don't they have an excuse for their sin? Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. If I had not done and come all of these works, that's, the, that's what he said. Remember, all building on the gospel of John, all these signs, all these works, all these marvelous things that I've done, all this teaching about grace and goodness and about love. If I had not come among them and done these marvelous works that no one else has done, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father, the response to my miracles, the response to my grace, the response to my teaching is that they hated me. Now, you know, we're Christians, and so that's like, well, that's kind of a little weird, but think about it a little bit. Really, it's not. Really, it's not. You see, what Jesus came to do is to, is to threaten everything that just sort of society at the time and probably society still stands for and he just comes and he challenges that I mean you think about this the world says hey you know what it's really good if you have power whether it's social power or political power or economic power all of these things and and, and I know that we get sucked into that because sometimes like fools the church thinks well, what we need to do is get some power and then we can make things happen That's succumbing to the world's way. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you've got any kind of a power, if you've got, if you've got political power, you've got economic power, you've got social power, you know what you use that for? To serve. To become a servant. To take the lowest spot. Yeah, the world says, listen, you know what the, the thing to do is to make sure that you take vengeance of anybody. This is how I was raised. If anyone pushes you, Alan, you push him back twice as hard. My daddy taught me that. And then, that's, you know, it's so, I get so sucked into that. I always forget the name of it. What's the thing when you go on YouTube and you, they show all those short videos go flying by? Whatever that thing is called. Reels. Okay, there you go. So I was watching one of those things. You know, you know how it sucks you in, right? And so right around the eighth hour, I've been watching it. Just, just, just. Here's this, this court case. And here's this dude who murdered his girlfriend. They were, they were mature people, like in their 50s or whatever, and had grown, grown kids. And this video was of the, the court case when he'd been found guilty, and it was the time for the sentencing. And he had two these sons of this woman he'd murdered, and they were big boys. And they both come flying over top of the banister there to get a hold of this guy and lay a beating on him and the court guys are dragging them off. And I'm thinking. <laughs> See, that, that's the world. And Jesus says, no. 
The way is not vengeance. That's just going to descend into the horrors of war and terrorism and hatred. And... No. The way is forgiveness. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, it's okay if I forgive somebody that elbows me out of the way to get something in the grocery store. You're going to kill my family? And I'm going to forgive you? That's just stupid. And the world and the society, and Jesus spoke in particular, a status was the big deal. I mean, the whole thing was, the whole, the whole society was raised on status. And if you had high status, you could do whatever you wanted to the people below you. It didn't matter because in Greek law, they couldn't even take you to court because you could only take someone to court who was of equal social status. So what you want to do is you want to get status. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll tell you what your status is. How about you be a slave? Somebody that has no status, somebody that's at the bottom of the barrel, somebody that everyone just despises and thinks, not worth very much. Why listen to them? They don't really count. Status. No, yeah, your status is that of a slave. And the world says, hey, you need to, you need to accumulate as much as you possibly can because you've got to look after yourself and you want to live a comfortable life and you want to do all those things. And uh, We don't like to call it greed. We like to call it you know, being sensible and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, oh, you know what? If you have stuff... If you have resources, I, those resources belong to me, and I've entrusted them to you to look after people who don't have resources. You can look after yourself, but that's for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. You feed the hungry and clothe the naked and house the homeless. And so, you know, when we think about this stuff as an ideal of the teachings of Jesus, it's all very good because we all think we're on the side of the teaching of Jesus. But sometimes I have to be honest with myself and say, man, you know what? I kind of live on the other side. I don't like that very much. And so it's no wonder that when it comes right down to the nitty gritty, when Jesus says, if somebody asks you for your coat, you give them your shirt too, and you think he really means it. It's not just hyperbole. It's not just a little poem. It's not something nice. He really means it, man. Then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> and things can begin to make sense that the world hates that. And sometimes it begins to make sense that, that if you really live that way, even fellow believers will say, ah, going a bit farther, going a bit too farther, don't really fit with how we're running this Christianity thing. So I like this passage less and less every time I study it. So Jesus says, yeah, of course they, they hate me because <laughs> I'm going to stand against everything that just kind of comes naturally. But not only that, they do it, they hate me because of just plain old rebellion. And this, this is nothing new. And he quotes in verse 25, he says, listen, they hated me without reason. And what he's doing there is he's quoting a psalm. And they can't, the scholars, they can't decide which psalm it is. It didn't really matter because they both kind of say the same thing. But one of them might be Psalm 35, verse 19. Let's look at this. Do not, though, do not let 
let those who gloat over me, who are my enemies without cause, do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. In other words, let's get them. Let's get them. Let's you and I, let's get them. That's what it means by winking the eyes, to, to gather a group of people against somebody. Or to wink at somebody and say, like, this guy's a fool. Just, just tolerate them. Or more probably, because it's quoted more often, Psalm 69, verse 4. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are the enemy, my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. These are the Psalms. And what, he's, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, it's always been this way. People have always rebelled against the way of God because we just, you know, it doesn't make sense to us in our heart. Especially it doesn't make sense to us when we're on the top of the pile. A little easier when we're at the bottom of the pile. But when you're a Canadian in Alberta, in Grand Prairie, you're kind of on the top of the pile. And so it's like, yeah, always been that way. And when people get to the top of the pile, the words of Jesus don't sound so good anymore. They've always rebelled against me, always hated me, says God, always hated those who follow me, like King David who's complaining here. And so why does he say this? Why does he quote this psalm? I think there's at least three reasons. The first one is, is that Jesus is giving a warning. Because things are about to get really, really ugly for the disciples because Jesus is about to be crucified and everything that they thought and everything they believed is about to be thrown up in the air and it's not going to make any sense. And he says, it's going to get tough for you. So don't be surprised when it gets tough for you. Here's the warning. You're going to be a follower of mine. The world is going to hate you. Don't be surprised. And when I think about that, I think what's surprising about my life is that I don't experience hatred. And then I have to ask myself the question, why not? If the assumption is that I'm a follower of Christ, conformed into his image, living my life as he would live them, the assumption is that there's going to be hatred thrown against me, and if I don't experience it, why not? Am I not living sufficiently as Christ lived? Am I not sufficiently interfacing with the world? Am I not speaking when I should speak and serving when I should serve and confronting when I should confront? Why not? Because there's this warning. Hey, if you follow me, says Jesus, you're going to experience hatred. And if I don't experience hatred, I've got to ask myself, how come? Why not? How come I've never been persecuted for my faith? The second reason that Jesus, I think, gives it to us is he's trying to give them some comfort. <laughs> he's trying to say, listen, you're going to go through this difficult time. But understand this, when you experience persecution and cost for your faith, you are standing in great company. All of God's people have always faced this. And it's when you stand in the midst of this that you know, no, I am in this great company. Jesus, of course, being the leader of that company. And beyond that, I find comfort because this is the way of God. And God is still in control. And though things may seem like it's really bad for these disciples, and though things may seem like it's really bad for you, God's saying, take comfort because when your face costs you, that doesn't mean you're on the wrong road. 
It means you're on the road that has been traveled by many before. And God is still in control. And he's still going to achieve his purposes in your life, in my life, and in the world. And I think the third thing that this psalm, these psalms, both of them, raise is this issue. Make sure that that hatred is truly without reason or cause. If I'm going to be persecuted, it better be just because of Jesus, not because I'm a jerk for Jesus. Sometimes I think as Christians, you know, we can, we can take on the idea that we're persecuted. Well, this, you know, I didn't get that job or I don't have that friendship or I didn't do these things because I'm a Christian. And maybe it's just because I've been ignorant to somebody. Maybe it's because the way I demonstrated Jesus or confronted evil was not the way of Jesus. Maybe it's because I figured, well, what I need to do here is grab some power and then I can bend things to my way, the way of Jesus. Again and again, without cause, without reason, without cause, without reason. So let's make sure that when it comes to this, that there is no reason. That the hate that comes towards us truly is because of Jesus. Because what needs to come out of us is not hatred. It's not being obnoxious. What needs to flow out of us as we spent the last couple of weeks looking in the teaching of Jesus is a love that is more powerful than a visible resurrection. What needs to come out of us that people are reacting to is the love, the ultimate fruit of the presence of Christ in my life and the proof of life for me as a Christian. I just need to make sure that whatever it is, whatever opposition that I'm having, that it's because of love. It might be love for somebody else, for the weak, for the broken, for the oppressed, for somebody that's powerless and we stand in the way of the powerful in a confrontive way maybe because we love these people. But boy, it better be love and not an excuse because we have been a jerk and been conformed to the pattern of the world and tried to affect change with the mechanisms and the levers of the world instead of the mechanisms of love and of grace and of forgiveness and of kindness and goodness. And when we do that, Everything's going to be nice. No. The world will hate you. So how do we do it? Well, that's how the passage kind of ends and, and leads into what we're going to look at next week. The way to succeed in this and the way to proceed in this is spirit-empowered response from God. Yeah. You know, he, he's very clear. Hey, Listen. It's going to be rough, but you must testify. If I can get over myself and get past the hate and the they and all of that kind of stuff and just begin to see that, that underneath in these verses is this demand and expectation of God that we testify to who Jesus is. 
And that's the whole thing with verse 19. Hey, you've been chosen. You've been called out. You don't belong. But it's not just because you're not one you belong. No, you've been called out. You've been chosen. Why? For a purpose. For a mission. To be the hands and the feet and the mouths and the wallets and the heart and the ears of Jesus. Called out for a purpose. To testify to the goodness of God. I mean, just keep going. Verse 20, he says, listen, you know what? A servant is not greater than the master. You know what's implied in there? Is that we are carrying on the master's mission. That we are carrying on the master's work of pointing people to the great and gracious father. And then just in case we didn't pick up on the hints, in verse 27, he just quite simply says, you must testify. What do you mean we must testify? There's, there's a double thing here. On the one, it's we must testify because that's what it means to follow Jesus and we want to be obedient to Jesus and so we need to testify about God's goodness even when we know it's going to cost us. But number two, you must testify. Why? Because we've got this internal drive. Because we've tasted of the fruit of the Spirit. Because we know what it is to be forgiven of our sins. Because we know what it is to shake off the shame which has bound us off. Because we know what it is to be called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Because we know what it is to begin to live with a hope and a purpose that can never be taken away from us. And what God understands is that when we have that in our life, we can't help but tell people that we care about, about it. We must testify because it's bubbling up out of us and we wouldn't want anybody to miss out on what we have in Jesus. So it's a command, but it's okay because it's good to fill the command because when we truly encounter Jesus, when we truly live in his spirit, when his fruit is, is, is through our life and we are infused with the joys we saw last week that Jesus gives because we're branched in the vine, we can't help but spill that out and testify in love and bear that fruit of the love of God in our life, so we must testify. But in doing that, we're not alone. And there's a couple of ways that we're not alone that should empower us and enable us, even in the face of difficulty. The first is that we're branches on the vine. We are together. There is a community of branches together living off of Jesus. And we can encourage one another and share in the mission of Jesus and lift each other up when we fall down. And we can share with one another and experience this is how it is that we can bear testimony for Jesus. This is how it is that we can live in, in obedience to his way. And so, you know, one of the goals that we have uh, this year is to share Jesus and to, to, to grow as a believer. But how is it like we want to help each other know how to share the good news of Jesus? So there's a couple of things coming up right away quick. On February the 20th and 27th, one week apart, Tuesday night, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, Scott is, is teaching a little, just a mini class, two-session class on, hey, this is how to share your faith. You know, it's, it's what comes naturally and this is how we can do it. And, and that, what's the way that works for you? And then later on, next, uh, next fall, probably November, there's going to be a Will Graham celebration in town here. Churches all getting together. Billy Graham Association. 
and, and that's going to be good and that's going to be fine, but the reality is it's all the stuff that happens before that really makes the difference. And one of the things that is that there's this uh, life and witness class that they teach. And it's just basically about, hey, hey, this is how just through how you live your life to share the gospel, not the high pressure stuff, not the, you know, just, and that's going to happen on May 22nd, 29th, and June 5th, Wednesday nights. And what we hope to do is, is to have all the small groups, you've all the small groups to say, you know what, for, for these three weeks, we're going to make our small group on Wednesday night and we're going to participate in this thing because it's good stuff. I know guys that have taken it through and it's, it's not what we fear, you know, evangelism, we hear this, oh, it's, it's good stuff. And, and together, we can encourage one another in how we can share the good news of Jesus. But the truth is that all of that is for naught if it wasn't for that next part that we are filled with the advocate, with the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, who will bear witness. And what's really interesting is that you get into the scholarship and they, they argue with each other, is who does the spirit witness to? Does the spirit witness to Christians or does the spirit witness to the world? Which is it? Well, the way that John writes, it probably is both. Because the truth is that I need the witness of the Spirit to remind me of the truth about Jesus all the time. Because I so easily, you know, I read books and I watch the news and I watch movies and I have friends and all these things and the pressure of doing things the way of the world comes in and I want to belong and I need the witness of Jesus to remind me of the truth of the way of grace and of love and of kindness and of servanthood and all of those things that Jesus says it's about which the world says, ah, that's kind of crazy. And if we live a life of grace and of truth and of kindness, unless the Spirit is working on the eyes and the hearts of those who watch, it kind of falls on hard ground. And so the Spirit needs to go before us and do the the real work of changing hearts that only, only the Spirit can do. That people's hearts respond to what otherwise sounds crazy. Crazy. In everything from God became a person and he died and a guy rose from the dead to know. You don't seek vengeance on the guy that killed your mother. You forgive him. Crazy. The Spirit is the one who enables us to live that life. So people's opposition to Jesus and his ways, when it comes right down to it, when it comes to applying to life, continues. And sometimes we followers of Jesus get swept up into that opposition. And sometimes that opposition could even be described as hatred. And it's tough to take. And yet we are compelled to carry on Jesus' mission in spite of personal cost. And it's hard. It's hard to really do it. Harder for you guys than for me. Because as soon as anyone finds out I'm a preacher, the conversation pretty much ends. You have to work with these folks and live with these folks. It's hard. 
But we have each other. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about him next week. Almighty God, we just have it so easy. There's little bumps in the road. People might say some things, you know, offenders, hurters, whatever. But we're not one of the 10,000 a year who are dying, who stand for their faith the wrong end of a gun. And we pray for the persecuted church. I confess that I forget too often. But brothers and sisters who die, who languish in prison, so help us to remember them. And Lord, cause us to people who testify. Pray through Christ. Amen.